Welcome to Gender Meowster Podcast Network. Genderful is a talk show featuring non-binary and trans folks discussing various topics and special interests. We kindly remind our listeners that no person is a monolith of identities. All opinions are the speaker's own. This show airs live on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash gender meowster and VODs with show notes can also be found on YouTube. Hello to my guests, Juliet and Maddie. Hello. How are you all today? Hello. We're good. We've been really excited to present this all week. <laughs> been working on it. Totally. Well, I'm very excited to have you here. And as a sort of format note to everyone, usually it's more of a discussion with these genderful talk shows, but this is a an extra special episode with a presenter with lots of knowledge in their brain. And Juliet and Maddie have prepared a did you say the presentation's about an hour and a half long yeah awesome <laughs> last we timed it was an hour 25 minutes so we have I a hope you're ready. yeah we have a longer longer form presentation for you all today so there are content warnings that are appearing in the chat so verbally they'll all share it with you at least once so content warnings for brief mentions of abuse alcoholism and involuntary hospitalization and just so you know, the slides that have the stars on them are the ones that those content warnings apply to. So if you want to not engage with that content when it comes up, you can just mute the tab on the stream and maybe come back five minutes later and see if the star on the slide has gone away. We've moved along and then you'll know that those topics are no longer being discussed. I will be moderating the chat tonight, which is unusual. Usually I'm so busy talking, but today I am just the host. Yeah, I'll be the one busy talking. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be so awesome. I'm really excited that you're here. Is there any other support you would like? Any sort of time indications or anything? Or you just want to do your thing and have us tell you how great you are in the chat the whole time? If I'm talking too fast, that would be good to know. Because, okay. yeah, but I have practiced. And hopefully I won't be talking too fast. But we tend to talk fast anyway. So Wonderful. Yeah. I love it. I guess the final note that I just remembered is just as a side note, all of the alerts and things are turned off, at least auditorially and perhaps even visually on the next scene. So if we get raiders, we get all of that stuff. We can celebrate folks in the chat, but there's not going to be things, sounds and things on the screen about it. So please, if you're viewing and watching along from home, help me celebrate and welcome any raiders or new follows and all of that in the Twitch chat so that we can also stay focused on the content of this evening's presentation. Hooray. All right, Juliet and Maddie, I will let you all take it away. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so this is you and it's a presentation about plurality, association, and self-discovery. The slide deck was created with the contributions of Juliet, Maddie, OB, and Michelle, and is partially based off of a document written by Juliet, OB, and Michelle. And guidance for the script was provided by 27 and L. Presenting today is Maddie. Uh, the, present the presentation is primarily for questioning plurals, but hopefully has value for singlets and systems who already know their stuff. And again, if you have questions, the Google Slides has that cool feature. The link is on the top of the presentation. It never goes away. It'll be on top of every slide. You can also ask questions anonymously, or it'll use the name that's attached to whatever Google account you might be signed in. Feel free to ask at any time during this talk. That link also shows questions other people have asked. So if there's a question you really want to see answered, you can upvote it to you know, let me know that's a question that is on your mind as well. 
And then at the end, we'll go over as many as we can. Sounds great. So like uh, Master said, as a content warning, we will have very brief mentions of abuse, alcoholism, and involuntary hospitalization. If we mention any of these things on a given slide, there will be a star in the corner like this one. If you see that we're on such a slide and these subjects may bother you, feel free to mute until we move on. Moving slides. There we go. Okay, so who are we? We're going to start with a little bit about ourselves. We've known ourselves as a system for about nine years, give or take. We are not experts in plurality and especially not experts in dissociative disorders. We are not medical professionals. We don't even play them on TV. What we are is a system of people who have identified and understood ourselves as plural for almost a decade. We've been involved in and out of the community and most recently in terms of total people in our system. And counting is hard. Right now, about four of us can be said to regularly be out. And we want to emphasize, we do not have a dissociative disorder. Some of us may dissociate individually, but we do not have a dissociative disorder. We do not have PTSD. We do not have DID or OSDD. We want to put a lot of emphasis on that because we want to clarify that our experiences are not those of a system with a dissociative disorder. And anything we say about what we can do is not necessarily reflective of what people with dissociative disorders may experience. Anyway, one of our special interests is Twin Peaks. So if you've seen the show, uh, pictures next to us will be comparable personalities. If you haven't, no worries, they're just cool pictures. So Juliet uses she, here pronouns, which we pronounce as she, here. So we've considered alternate spelling. She's about the same age as our body, but her birthday is in July. So she's actually not 27 yet, but that's fine. Uh, she's also genderqueer, a woman genderqueer, she has some gender residue left over from another person in our system. There's me. I'm usually about 27. It's Maddie. But my birthday is in August, and also my age isn't always stable. I'm also definitely some kind of girl thing. My gender is a dysphoric bouncing away of that residue that Juliet still has, a vehement discomfort with boyhood or manhood or masculinity or whatever. There's also some discomfort with the term woman, but that's only sometimes. And then there's OB is a funny little thing. If Juliet and I are both full people, OB is extra full of extra people. OB has a shared history as the body and the same birthday, so she is 27 exactly. She's not the first of us by any stretch. Her history of the body starts in high school or so, but she's been around the longest who is still currently around. And if we are like a house, then she's the attic. She's a big collection of all-knowing ghosts that we can pick up at and look at. But it's got surprises, like all that junk you have in your attic. There's like old treasure and prophecies or whatever. There's a lot of parts of OB. Then there's Michelle. His name is French. It's not Michelle. It's Michelle. He's a weird guy who's just in here. He's an adult that's older than us. He's got, like, kids and a wife and stuff off in another universe or dimension or timeline or something. He doesn't identify with the body, and he's not even autistic. Why is he even here? Who knows? And we agonized over a Twin Peaks character for him, but there just isn't really a good comparison. He's just a guy. He's a good person for articulating a type of plurality, though, which is why we'll mention him here. So, let's start with just plurality. A basic definition of plurality is 
more than one entity in a single body. And that's it. So we can give a little bit more context in this. And this definition is vague, but that's on purpose. There are a lot of ways to define plurality, but we like this broad definition because it hopefully encompasses a lot of different experiences with plurality, and we hope validates all of them as plural. You're plural enough with any number of entities, with any kind of entities, and with any kind of divisions between entities. Just need to have more than one. So first and foremost, we've got to address the big thing. We're going to talk about plurality and dissociative disorders. For systems with dissociative disorders, the dissociation is the backbone of their plurality, and we'll see why. So we've talked about this before, and in much better detail for some of the things in this document, but there are some pictures we didn't include in the document, which we'll show here. So even if you did read that document, there's still something new for you here. So what is dissociation is a term that's tossed around a lot, but its precise definition can be hard to pin down. At its core, though, dissociation is a disconnect between awareness and environment, experience, or perceptions. The two most common forms of dissociation are derealization and depersonalization. Derealization is feeling disconnected from one's environment or feeling like nothing is real. Derealization can make you feel like you're in a dream or a TV show. It can also make you feel like the world is very foggy or on the other side of glass from you. Depersonalization is feeling disconnected from aspects of oneself, including one's emotions, thoughts, memories, physical sensations, body or parts of one's body, or identity. Depersonalization can feel like you're watching yourself in third person or from above, and that the actions you take aren't coming from you. And dissociative amnesia means that one cannot recall important autobiographical information. There are a couple of subtypes of dissociative amnesia, and it's important to remember that it's not just ordinary forgetting. Then there is a structural dissociation. Now that we've mentioned dissociation, talk about structural dissociation. It is a theoretical model for the development of DID, as well as other traumagenic disorders, classically PTSD, CPTSD, traumagenic BPD, and OSDD1. I know that's a lot of acronyms. They will all get explained. And we have a big disclaimer in our document that we'll summarize briefly here. Not all systems with DID or diagnosed with DID agree with this model or the language used in it. We're explaining the model, not how all systems with dissociative disorders explain themselves. So the basics. The model of structural dissociation relies on two basic tenets. One, a child is not born with an integrated sense of self, and two, trauma causes a disruption in cohesive identity. So in this case, what's trauma? Trauma is a wound. It's the lasting effects of an incident or series of incidents that is emotionally disturbing or life-threatening with lasting negative effects on functioning and mental, physical, social, emotional, and or spiritual well-being. In the absence of trauma, a child will integrate into one coherent self over time as their brain matures and becomes capable of supporting this integration. Dissociative identity disorder is the result of one sense of self and self-history failing to integrate due to trauma that's interpersonal, involves caregivers, begins at a younger age, is more severe, lasts for longer, and isn't properly acknowledged is more likely to interfere with the child's integrative capacity and so to cause DID. 
there are apparently normal parts or ANPs. And those are the parts that handle a person's daily life. Then there are emotional parts, EPs, which represent dissociation and or contain the effects, memories, and sensations of trauma. But when applying these kinds of terms to real systems, the lines that are drawn between AMP and an EP are wibbly. So you can't just point at a system and be like, you're an AMP, somehow that works. And the number of ANPs and EPs explain the different levels of structural dissociations, which correspond to different diagnoses. So when there is a single ANP and a single EP, then this is primary dissociation. This is what post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, is. If there is a single ANP that is in charge of most things, then there is an emotional part that lives in the trauma. Everything that was done to try and mitigate the sensations are all pooled into this one emotional part that can't be successfully integrated into a person's life without re-experiencing extreme distress. When there is a single ANP and multiple EPs, then this is secondary dissociation. Repeated trauma can result in a situation where a single EP, which contains all possible defense mechanisms to trauma, may not be enough, and multiple EPs contain different strategies for self-protection are required. That is the structural dissociation level associated with complex post-traumatic stress disorder, aka CPTSD, traumagenic borderline personality disorder, or BPD, and OSDD1, OSD1, which is other specified dissociative disorder. Some EPs may contain like a fight response, whereas another might contain a freeze response. And these different emotional parts may be triggered by different stressors, but are ultimately fairly present around the clock with a single ANP sentiment. Where there, oh, excuse me. Tertiary dissociation is nearly synonymous to dissociative identity disorder. This is when there are multiple ANPs and multiple EPs. Daily life is divided among AMPs, which handle different, but possibly overlapping, elements in someone's life. Like with secondary dissociation, multiple EPs are required to handle different reactions to trauma as well. Another hallmark of tertiary structural dissociation is that there is amnesia between identities. This is another type of dissociation. We mentioned dissociative amnesia. This is a subtype of dissociative amnesia, which is inter-identity dissociative amnesia. Parts do not remember actions performed by the body during times when other parts were out, or certain parts can recall autobiographical information about the body as a whole. If someone is diagnosed with DID, then they experience tertiary dissociation. For medical professionals, this is the defining trait of multiplicity slash plurality. Okay, but what does that mean? <laughs> so that's nice and all. What does that mean in terms of dissociation and plurality? Complicated. So there's a lot outside of multiple entities existing in a single body. DID is not plural disorder. DID is a disorder that is based on the same mechanisms as PTSD. There are lots of other issues, and because it is a disorder, it is associated with severe impairments in one's life. People with DID also have some overlap with experiences that I'm going to talk about later, but it's important to know that people didn't have a choice. Anything we say about intentionality for systems may not apply in those situations, because that is not DID, 
we do not want to be misconstrued as saying that you can choose to have DID by doing X, Y, or Z thing. Systems with DID slash OSDD have specific mechanisms and traits that people without DID or OSDD do not have, and you cannot make yourself DID. There's a lot of nuance, and if you have any questions about differentiation between stuff that is and is not true about DID OSDD systems specifically that we don't talk about, we might be able to direct you some places where that is more clear. Because the research for dissociative disorders and multiplicity is extensive and rooted in trauma and childhood developmental psychology, there's a lot of stuff that you can find out about things from a psychological perspective. There are many people, including people with DID, out there writing theories and frameworks and constantly refining these models. So there's no way I can cover everything here. There's also a huge point about like attachment theory, which I'm skipping over because that would also be really long. We also didn't mention comorbidities, how DID differs in non-Western cultures. We didn't touch on the history of the DID diagnosis and its controversy. So this is just a small primer. We did mention OSDD and we didn't really talk about it. So OSDD1 or other specified dissociative disorder one is a catch-all for people who almost meet the full criteria of DID but are missing something. OSD1A is for when the full criteria for DID are met, except the differentiation between parts is not very much. If everyone identifies as the same person, but there are inter-identity amnesiac barriers, such as one X not remembering where they live, or another X going to school, and but a third X doesn't remember, then that's OSDD1A, is not a very popular identification in plural circles, mostly because if everyone identifies as X, then the idea of more than one X could be strange, and we will talk a little bit about that later. OSDD1B is for when the full criteria for DID are met, except there isn't inter-identity amnesiac barriers. Parts have a fairly continuous memory, but they have very distinct differences in identities. There is still dissociation because that's a requirement for a dissociative disorder and even dissociative amnesia, such as not remembering memories from early childhood, but not between identities. OSDD1B is a fairly common identification in plural circles because the plurality is more evident and sometimes the lack of inter-identity amnesia can make it easier to interact with group supports in the plural or dissociative disordered community. We'll circle back a bit later about when it comes to what to do if you think you have DID or OSDD or another dissociative disorder, but that's not all. That covers our discussion of structural dissociation. It's very rigid framework with a lot of research behind it. We have a whole a document full of sources that we're going to be able to share at the end with tons of articles and links. And also if any of those articles are behind paywalls, let us know and we can find a way to get you those PDFs. University libraries for the win. Uh, now we're gonna talk about IFS, which is a completely different thing, but it's also a thing used by medical and therapeutic professionals. So here we go. Internal family systems is a therapy framework that assumes that people are naturally multiple and tries to address the parts of people that have worked together with the self to become a single entity. It's a family, hence internal family systems. An example that the man who invented IFS talks about is about children who grew up in abusive homes with alcoholic parents. 
there are kinds of roles that these kids tend to take to deal with the external difficulties, like a child taking on a caregiving role for younger siblings. But those roles aren't who the child is exactly. Same with those parts. So there are general groupings for parts in the IFS model. There are managers, parts who go about daily life and manage things. And then there are exiles, which contain the emotions, memories, and sensations of past experiences of hurt or shame. And then there are firefighters, parts who try to dull the hurt feelings of the exiles with quick fixes like impulsivity or online shopping, that sort of thing. So note that while some of these sound similar to ANPs and EPs, it's important to remember that these are completely different medical frameworks that are extremely unrelated and any similarities are superficial. Now that we've covered some defined medical models, which we'd like to stress are models and then may not represent you or your system, we put up those frameworks as options to explore should you feel like any of those things resonate. We're going to jump back into the world of general plurality. We're going to go over some important words that you'll hear plural folks talk about. There's a ton. We talk a lot, but we hope to clarify some common ones. And brief note, Nestor mentioned at the beginning that we are not a monolith, and we're also going to say that we advocate very hard for radical self-identification. You can be what you want to be. Your system is valid no matter. But we'll also say upfront that some things we say in this presentation may be contentious in certain parts of Pearl community. We've been in the community long enough to see these arguments start and long enough to see that a lot of these accusations of harm by inclusivity are just wrong. Over decades, the plural community has been created with systems with and without dissociative disorders, sharing the overlap of their experiences and helping give names to things you know, for everyone because of the common experience of general plurality, and we try to continue that tradition. But lately, the largest, loudest, and most hostile strain of infighting happens because some people consider structural dissociation and DID slash OSD to be the only actual way of being plural and that anything other than that is faking or lying or stealing resources from real systems. It's very similar to a screen of trans people who believe that the only way to be trans is to have a diagnosable condition with certain specific criteria. And if you deviate from that in any way, then you're faking or lying or stealing resources from real trans people. So the things we say are contentious because they are inclusive. Just like we know that there are a million ways to be trans, we advocate for a million ways to be plural. Multiple million. And if you're still on the path of self-discovery, we urge very strongly against looking into the cis course. It can be nasty and hostile. It can be, it's also factually, historically, and theoretically incorrect. And if you're still trying things out for yourself, we think it's far better to think about the total possibilities that exist that can make you or you and stronger and better and happier and more enriched. So let's talk about entities within a system. We're going to explain a few common words. These are all words for people who share your mental space, whether they interface with the physical world or not. System members is probably the best phrase to use for folks in general if you don't know about specifics. It's broad and vague, and system covers a lot of different kinds of plurality, and so a member of the system makes sense. 
Headmates are another common term favored by a lot of people and is considered another sort of default, a generally applicable if you feel like you have people in your head. Authors is the classic term that's used in medical circles, but because of its medical context, it's often coupled with the implication that one person in the group is real and the rest are not, or they're less real and they're not separate people, and that's not necessarily true. It does have that connotation and has for decades. Um, we'd strongly recommend against using this word for systems that you don't know. Parts, likewise, can be a medical term with similar associations, but parts can also just be a word that's helpful if people don't feel like organizations of full people or, num or members, parts are divisions or subdivisions of another entity, generally. So if someone is or is part of a median system, this might be a word they use but this is another word we'd also strongly recommend against using, unless you're for sure. Facets, fragments, and aspects are terms strongly associated with median systems. If there is a shared sense of identity, then entities in the median system might prefer these terms. But I do think that they've fallen out of fashion. It's been a while since we've seen that. So I don't know if they're still used anymore. And so also, I guess, be careful with these, because even if you know a median system, they may not use it unless they've been a median since 2004 or something. And uh, plurins is a cool word we saw for the first time like a month ago. It's It says that it serves the same purpose as system member, apparently. It's guaranteed that if you walk into just about any plural space, the first couple of those will be words people know, and this one will not be. But it's a cool alternative. And also be mindful that not all systems use any of these words. For instance, we actually don't like all of these words. And while the medical terms especially don't fit, we don't like the term headmate to describe each other, which is just a preference thing. Like not all non-binary people like the term NB, like E-N-B-Y. System members find shorthand, we don't mind. But if others refer to us, we'd rather just say something like Juliet and Maddie share the same body rather than Juliet and Maddie are system members of a multiple system and would be a little uncomfortable with Juliet and Maddie are headmates. But if you're referring to people you don't know, uh, system members or headmates are safe bets. System experiences. Fronting means interfacing or being aware of the physical world in real time. Another way of saying this is being out. If you've seen one of our like four streams, we have a little box that says who's out and then a picture underneath to represent one of us. So who's out is the same thing as asking who's fronting right now. These are just references to the idea of the rest of the system being behind or inside while not currently engaging in physical activities with the body. And we'll usually say fronting from now on, but there might be language preferences. Again, like we don't usually say fronting, but it's pretty variable. Co-con or co-conscious or co-fronting means that two or more people are at the front. Not everyone who's at the front is doing something per se. If me and Juliet are both out, I might be the one who's doing stuff like playing games or watching TV, and Juliet can be talking to me and telling me I'm going the wrong way if I'm trying to kill a Lionel, but Juliet isn't controlling our hands to make me go in that direction. Or at times, Juliet can be at work while I'm watching uh, Twitch streams, both doing things, both accessible to the world and each other. Switching is changing who's fronting. If I was out and then Juliet was out 10 minutes later, we switched. It can happen suddenly, gradually. Oh no, I'm sorry, we skipped a part. <laughs>
Co-consciousness might not be obvious while it's happening, though, and this is important. There are many instances of plurals realizing they're plural because they realize, like, while they're still doing things, someone else is doing things with them. Someone else might be driving while you're sitting in the driver's seat and the car is going down the highway, for instance. You could have an internal debate about something and not realize that the person you're arguing with isn't you. So want to make sure I mention that. Um, there are quite a few uh, books out there talking about co-consciousness as being one of the first ways that people realize that they're plural. Okay, so <laughs> switching is changing who's fronting. If I was out and then Juliet's out 10 minutes later, we switched. It can happen suddenly, it can happen gradually, it can overlap or with gaps in between. Michelle tends to suddenly pop into the front out of nowhere and OB tends to slowly sink into the front over a period of hours. I might pop in while Juliet's fronting. She sticks around for a few minutes and then leaves. Some people also may dissociate strongly between switches such that there is no period of time where no one is out. Blurring or being blendy, which I think blendy is a newer term. I know blurring, but Elle was the one who pointed out that blendy is also used here. But it's when multiple fronters and their identities blur together or the edges aren't very clear. So like sometimes if you ask us who's out, we have a vague idea that it's probably Juliet and Maddie, or maybe Juliet and OB, but it's hard to tell exactly. And this is exclusively, if this is exclusively how people front in your system, that's okay. You don't always need sharp divides. This is totally a valid way for system members to interact with the world. So losing time is primarily a dissociative trait, and during dissociative episodes or during switches, it's possible to lose time. For instance, if A is fronting, B switches in and replaces a spot in the front, and then A comes back in the next day, A may not remember what B did and has lost that time. Age sliding is a small thing. <laughs> Someone's identity may switch ages while maintaining the same identity. Some people slide between a couple of years, others in whole decades. So then we get to fusing. The definition of fusing or fusions depends a lot on who you talk to. In a non-medical context, it's the idea that there are two or more system members combining by fronting together like purposefully doing so, or just having combined in such a way, in a way that creates a separate identity. So this can be temporary. This has been a phenomenon that's been around and talked about for a long time, but Steven Universe did give a great way of showing it. Dragon Ball also did a great job of showing it. It's, it can be temporary. So like, for example, two of OB's parts, there's Francis Luke and there's Francis Luca, and they can smash together sometimes and become Francis. Or they can be around separately, and Francis is not the same as either Francis Luke or Francis Luca, and if only one is there, then Francis cannot be. However, other times, it is a permanent thing where system members are merging together into one and stay that way. And that brings us into the medical context. When looking at the way that the International Society for the Study of Trauma and Dis dissociation, or ISTD, discusses fusion, we have to talk about integrating. A lot of what I say from here on out will be from didresearch.org, so if you want to read more about this, you should. Their website is great. 
It's written by DID Systems. It's an excellent website. So integration medically is a more basic process than some people think and something that anyone who experienced trauma has to do as part of their healing process. In this case, integration means accepting that the trauma occurred, making it part of one's daily personal narrative, making it accessible in a way that does not cause intense re-experiencing of trauma elements. It's reclamation of the emotional part into one's daily life. Because DID and OSDD are trauma-based by nature, integration is an overall part of the healing process. Some degree of integration is fairly inevitable because of that's part of the process of healing from PTSD. Some integrations between system members will probably occur to allow for easier communication and a lack of dissociative amnesia between parts in order to establish collective responsibility and align towards the same goals. And some people with DID slash OSDD stop there. And that's what the ISSTD, I apologize, there's a lot of acronyms and a lot of them have S's. That's called resolution. Integration between parts is complete when there are no subjective differences between the parts involved and only one sense of self remains. This is what the ISSTD calls fusion, with the final fusion being the coming together of all parts and leaving a single sense of self. The, some of the issues come, like with ANPs, how much of an entirely different identity does one take on into the self, which can be tricky with things like gender or sexuality. If you have an ANP that's a boy and you're a girl, how much of them do you bring into you while you're integrating as part of the healing process? That's totally, uh, totally varies by a lot of different things. So types of plural arrangements, we've talked a few about them. It's, it was a little hard to decide the order of things that I wanted to present. So if you're not plural, you're a singlet. That's it. Back in the old days, they also referred to singletons, which is funny because that word is used in the computer programming, all these other places, but singlet sounds so cute and twee in comparison, but singlet is the term that stuck. And we're going to use system as the name to describe the collections of plural folks, but it is true that not everyone calls themselves a system, and we're going to use system members or entities, even those we've just proven that may or may not be the word that folks use for themselves. Okay. Number one, the multiple system. This is the general idea when people think about plural people. It's a collection of individual, distinct identities with differing names, ages, genders, histories, and or what have you. Some multiple systems have the core or a host, but not all. Median systems are not singlets and they're not multiples. Again, back in ye old plural days, this was referred to as mid-continuum systems, but as people moved away from perceiving singlets and multiple systems as two ends of a binary spectrum in the late 1990s and early 2000s, it got a bit of a makeover. We'll show some diagrams about median systems in the following slides. So median systems are usually a lot better at describing their own experiences than a non-median systems, and a median system can see their system in all kinds of ways. And also like some people see their median system in more of that binary spectrum where they feel more multiple or more singlet-y, just not all median systems. Then there are polyfragmented systems, and this is usually a clinical term to describe systems with many members 
usually over 100. Generally, if these are systems born out of trauma or have DID slash OSDD, often these entities aren't really fully separate or fully dimensional. Some may contain very small slivers of time at the front or purposes, such as like the one who goes to math class or the one at the park that one day, or contain very fragmented trauma responses, such as the entity that contains memories for a single very traumatic day and an entity that contains the sensations of that single traumatic day, or an entity that contains all the memories and sensations of every time a single triggering word was used against them. As an anecdote, we remember one polyfragmented system describing themselves as making such identifying several new and separate alters, that was a term they used, every day for years, many separated by amnesiac boundaries and some not. Some of them they accessed again, but most of the time they were one and done. And by the time they started therapy, they had accumulated thousands of alters. That's a pretty extreme case, but that's a polyfragmented system. So gateway systems are usually considered like a subsection, a multiple system, but we put them here because they're not always. Gateway systems have room for walk-ins or people who existed elsewhere finding their way into the system. Sometimes this is intentional, such as with soul bonding or topomancy, and sometimes not, and so it's pretty variable. These are two graphs about what median systems are in comparison to plural systems. These were made in 2002, so this, again, may not be a more modern version of the way that median systems talk about themselves, but this was back in that. On the left, we have a circle with the shared feature that singlets, median systems, and multiple systems all have one body. Then there are references to consciousnesses, resources, and keystone points. Median and multiple systems share many consciousnesses, but median systems have their stored resources in a central person, like a singlet. On the other hand, multiple systems, like singlets, have completely separate growth and resources. And singlets and medians share that central keystone point in a group role. It's a sense of oneness in a group, the central figure, which multiple systems have different ones depending on who is out. On the right, we have a three-circle Venn diagram. Multiple systems, median systems, and singlets all have self-aware living, but medians, like singlets, have a single center, and multiples, medians, have plurality. Multiples and singlets are individuals that are self-enclosed and independent, while medians do not, despite sharing plural minds, like multiple systems. And as the blackbirds put, these are not boxes, they are circles. Please do not split hairs. Just look at the idea. And then this is a another graph, another picture, excuse me. I apologize, it's a little blurry. So this is by Adriel, and Adriel's experiences with being median are actually one of the many links that are in that huge bibliography that's being tossed into the in the chat every so often. So the theme of one body is here, obviously, because that's true of everyone we're talking about. But for multiple minds of a multiple system, it shows that the mind is a singular self-contained thing, and there are many of them, and each identity is separate and has their own color. And median systems, on the other hand, have that one sense of mind, but a rainbow of colors, like a gradient of individuality. So none of these are hard and fast definitions. And the way that one median system may talk about their system 
may be completely different, but it's cool nonetheless. So this is roles some system members may have. And we didn't originally have this slide, but we mentioned to 27 that we didn't have it because we didn't want people to get the idea that their system members have to have any of these roles. But he pointed out that this can be very helpful for people still discovering their plural. So we do want to stress that your system members can very much have these kinds of roles, but they do not have to. Like none of us in the system have these sorts of roles. Also, again, we mentioned this with IFS, but while these roles can correspond to things like ANP or EP or managers, firefighters, and exiles, these are different articulations of similar things, but they're completely separate frameworks. These are words that were developed by systems for systems, and so they're more plural in nature and are more inclusive in nature. And you can also have systems multiple. A system member can have multiple roles. So the host of a system is generally the main fronter. There are other definitions out there, some of which are more like literal hosts, such as a gateway system where the host invites people in. But most of the time, the predominant fronter is the host. Some people use host to mean the person who's a central identity, such as the one who has the system of headmates. But generally, the host is a main core slash original. Within a context where there is an identity at the center of the system, the core can mean a singular identity before system members split off of it, or just a centralized identity that system members have, have now. And original is a core that has existed since the beginning of the body, generally. So a gatekeeper. There's two definitions of a gatekeeper. In non-gateway systems, this is usually used for someone who controls who accesses the front. And in gateway systems, this is someone who controls who accesses the entirety of the system. Then we have a persecutor. Persecutors are system members who attempt to harm other system members or the body. This can be lashing out because of previous harm done to them or the system as a whole, and is often internalized abusive messages that have been heard, and the persecutor perpetuates them towards other systems. Then we have uh, protectors protect other system members. This can be from external harm or from internal harm, persecuted or not. And then littles, this isn't a role exactly, but Everyone talks about their littles, and littles are kids. How you define a kid is up to your system, but kids are kids, and they do uh, kid stuff. A caretaker is a system member who looks after others. Sometimes this means specifically looking after littles, but sometimes it's just members of the system as a whole. Then there are memory slash trauma holders. These are system members who contain memories or sensations of past events. For systems who have experienced trauma, these trauma holders may be inaccessible at first or protected by very strong amnesiac boundaries. And as a small note, if you're ever talking about your system online, it might be in your best interest to not talk about who contains trauma memories, and especially what those trauma memories are. This can be used by other people to trigger you or them or your system, or otherwise take advantage. It's absolutely up to you how, when, if you disclose information, but we have seen that be used against people in the past. So we want to urge you to be careful should you decide to do system origin. 
So if any plural folks are in the chat, we're it's coming. We're here now. In uh, modern internet times, especially in places like Tumblr and Twitter, system origin is considered as a predominant delineator between systems. This was absolutely not always the case. The language was different. Usually people talked about natural or healthy plurals versus disordered plurals, which those that language is not great. So people were like, we need to change this because it's not a nice way to refer to. They also used the word empowered plurals, implying that people who were like in therapy for DID weren't empowered. It was not great. So in 2014, the system formerly known as the trash can system, I don't know what they call themselves currently. I apologize. They were called the trash can system, but they came up with the terms traumagenic and endogenic, and they were defined in 2014. Traumagenic means trauma resulted in the system. It's often phrased as systems created by trauma, but if you think about it from a structural dissociation model, it's that's not quite the same because trauma interrupted the integration process of a child. So the system was a failure to integrate and therefore trauma causes the system to exist rather than the system being made out of a non-system, if that makes any sense. Regardless, it's trauma. It's trauma's the origin of the entire system. Endogenic just means broadly not traumagenic. At least that's how we've seen it used predominantly. People say other stuff now. It means your system developed some other kind of way. We have seen it in some places to suggest that endogenic systems are naturally occurring plurals, but that's not necessarily the same thing, but not caused by anything of particular type label. Then there are Parogenic systems, also called tulpa systems, their systems where system members are created intentionally via tulpamancy. Tulpas are thought forms deliberately made to share a mental space with the tulpamancer. The word tulpa comes from Buddhism. It's a very weirdly transliterated word, and it's super culturally appropriative. A Buddhist tulpa, which I believe is more pronounced more like dulpa, is not anything like the way that people talk about tulpas on the internet now. And it is unfortunate that is the word that has stuck, but it is the word that has stuck. So, but we have seen parogenic as a catch-all terms for systems that were intentionally created through other spiritual systems are just that. They're people whose spiritual beliefs uh, created are responsible or drastically relate to the development of a system. We don't talk about that a whole lot here, but again, we have some links on it in our bibliography. And then we have a quagenic, and it's a term that sort of has two meanings. Nowadays, people use it as a way to say that their origins are unknown to them, or maybe a mix of different origins. But like the system who made the term are friends of ours. And the original definition, which they lament has been changed but the original definition was more along the lines of no or this categorization system does not apply it was meant to be an answer that challenges the question of origin as important or even knowable so i have types of system entities the people who regularly interface with the physical world are fronters if someone is the main fronter they may be the front runner because they run the front nice literal language there. Then there are interjects. They're entities that are 
adopted and internalized within the system from external sources. Fictives are system members who came from fictional sources. This would be like having Luke Skywalker in your system. There are factives as well of real life people like George Washington. Soul bonds are usually, but not always, intentional connections made between someone and an external source. A soul bond could be from a fictional universe, for instance. And then once that connection is formed, internal communication can eventually become mental residency, or the soul bond can stay put in the world. Depending on how a soul bonder likes to articulate themselves, they may or may not identify as plural. And I don't know how popular the soul bonding community is now, but they have a rich tradition of being involved in the plural community. So I would feel remiss not to include them. Tulpas, as we mentioned before, are intentionally created. Some people make tulpas of characters they admire. I was recently watching a video, again, linked in the bibliography, about the history of the tulpa community. And one of the earliest, there were, in the early days of the tulpamancy community, there were a lot of My Little Pony tulpas that people made. Like, a lot of them. Like, there was someone who made a group chat that was just Twilight Sparkles, and there were, like, 20 of them. So that was the early culture of the tulpamancy community. But nowadays, people either make tulpas entirely out of disparate parts, like making an original character and then making them real inside your system. Oh, don't worry, we're going to get to that other kin lingo. But also, I don't know a whole lot about tulpamancy or soul bonding. So again, there are resources in later slides. But it is important to remember that tulpas and soul bonds either become or are real autonomous beings. They're individuals who are not you, and so that kind of comes with some responsibilities there. Walk-ins are also fairly self-explanatory, another wonderful use of literal language. They just walk in from somewhere. Who knows? They could be invited or uninvited, but they just drop in from somewhere. They could be like a time and space traveler, like the doctor from Doctor Who, who finds the system and pops in. They could be a spirit from another dimension. They could be a ghost. They could be someone just who opened the wrong door one day and fell right on in. Walk-ins are cool. Don't know exactly. They're not very... They're individual and unique, every single one. And not everyone is a type of system member. Some people just are, and that's good too. And some entities and systems are none of the above, which is not even uncommon. So don't think because you don't have these kinds of entities in your system, that means that they're not real, they're just broad categories. Some things about introjects. They're special. They have a source or a blueprint of themselves that exists externally somehow. First thing we want to say, is that not all interjects are from external sources that are fun. It's very common to have interjects of people who were or are previously involved in someone's life. Like a nagging voice that sounds a lot like a parent, for instance, could be such an interject. Or former abusers can take residence as interjects inside a system. As we mentioned before, persecutors can often take that role. So, second Fictional interjects can be from any source. This can be from childhood media or from recent media. This can be from media the system knows. This can be from media that the system does not know. They can be villains or heroes. 
they don't even have to be specific people either. They can just have been from a fictional world, like a Jedi from Star Wars planet that's never even mentioned in canon. And it's also possible that fictives show up and they're not exactly like they were in their source. So maybe Luke Skywalker shows up and he's actually trans, even though in canon it's never said he is. Maybe that Luke Skywalker isn't related to Leia. Leia is not his sister. Maybe that Luke Skywalker grew up on Naboo. I don't know, but it's still Luke Skywalker though. So people can grow up and change too. If Luke Skywalker stays in your system for years and decides actually he's gay, maybe feels uncomfortable with his father's last name and wants to change it so he's just Luke, then he might still identify as a fictive, but he may not. Some people who were once fictives don't identify as such anymore just because people change and grow, just like any other sort of people. Third, fictives are real and they exist and they can be from anywhere. They can be people like George Washington, as we said before, and they can also be like living celebrities or family members or friends. The fact is are real and deserve attention and care like any other system member. It is super, extremely, incredibly important to maintain boundaries. If you are effective or have effective in your system, it is probably a very good idea not to tell your source that you are them. Don't at people on Twitter and don't tell your friends that you are them. That's disorienting and is not great for people's boundaries. That's stuff to process internally. And then as a rule, adjusting to a new world can be quite jarring. If you're from Tatooine and all of a sudden you're on Earth in 2021, that's gonna be different. <laughs> Some people might have a hard time adjusting. We've known from experience even that fictives can miss family members from their source material or be disoriented by current technology. And we have a book that's called how to Survive in a Strange World After Sliding into an Alternate Timeline. And it's very good. And if anyone is interested for a member of their system or just to read something from the perspective of an outsider, that we can't find the link. We searched really hard, but we can't find the link. But we do have the PDF. So if you would ask us, we will be able to send you the PDF. And finally, there's a thing called exotrauma. It's not exclusive to interjects exactly, we're going to mention it here. So some system members are traumatized by events and circumstances outside of the body. That's not something that they can control. The trauma might be similar to ones that the body has gone through, but others not. Their reactions to that trauma are real. They might have nightmares and flashbacks. They might have dissociative symptoms themselves. System members with exotrauma should be respected and supported as traumatized entities. So going back to Michelle here, going to double, triple down on this again. We collectively do not have OSD. We want to stress this again. Our system is not dissociative. We do not come close to fitting the criteria for dissociative disorder collectively. Me nor Juliet or nor Obi do not have dissociative disorders. Juliet doesn't even dissociate at all, but... <laughs> While Michelle is just a regular guy who's completely unrelated to the body in any way, he does have his own history, or rather, many histories, and trauma that comes with them. And he's plural in and of himself, and he's got something like a 
we're not going to talk about his trauma for a few reasons because that's not ours to talk about but it's also he also has dissociative amnesia but all of his identities are more hymns mostly michelle showed up as a fictive or a walk-in he's half a fictive he's got the skeleton of a fictional character it's just like an archetype but he was never him exactly it's confusing but anyway michelle is made up of a bunch of parts he calls them shards. Some combinations of Michelles are fusions in their own right. There's some Michelles that make up a guy who's like his own twin. Some Michelles combine to make a 13-year-old. That one's weird. Some Michelles have a very specific eating behavior that only those Michelles put together have, but they're all Michelles. They all recognize themselves as Michelle. And not all of those Michelles have the same trauma that eating guy has a completely different source of trauma than 99.999% of all the other Michelle pieces, but they're all traumatized by stuff and they all struggle to remember what's happened between them. A doesn't get talked about a lot in plural spaces because often it's hard to feel plural when you can't remember times when you were you, but someone else. Michelle's actually done a lot of work to identify those major fusions, but there are a lot of gaps elsewhere the 13-year-old we mentioned was even in therapy by himself for a while. Not like our system, not Michelle, just that one kid. And the other Michelles, they don't remember any of it. If we tell Michelle like what we remember when he was in therapy, then the next time Michelle comes back, he might not remember again because it's a different combo. That's Michelle. <laughs> We're going to go a little bit more into plurality and other intersectional identities there's a lot of cool connections that are definitely worth discussing. Because entities are separate in some kind of way, it's possible that different entities have different sexualities or types of attraction, just the nature of individuality. In fact, this might be such a way that people first recognize their plurality. Someone's sexuality can fluctuate into more than one different feeling, and it could be, does not have to be, this is true of singlets as well, but it could be that those are different plural entities. If you find yourself constantly torn between very solid feelings, like your one sexuality versus another, maybe you can be both. If you feel very strongly as a gay man, and that gay man has his own idiosyncrasies, and other times you feel very strongly as a bisexual man who has different idiosyncrasies, Maybe it's not like you can't decide between being gay or bisexual. Maybe there's just two of you. So and also, if an entity's sexuality is different than another's, those don't invalidate each other or have to combine or anything. If someone in your system is only interested in women and someone else is only interested in men, then you don't have to combine to be bisexual. And neither of them invalidate the other. You could, of course, do that and combine and be bisexual and or like your singlet Sona can be a bisexual person because of those two parts, but you definitely don't have to. Yeah, that's cool. I'm liking what's happening in chat. <laughs> Glad people are thinking about that. And then similarly, uh, because entities are individual, it's possible that certain individuals may have certain kinds of relationships with people. Uh, someone in system A can be dating someone in system B, but not everyone in system B, either because they're not sexually or romantically attractive or whatever attracted to them, or for whatever other reason. And 
whole systems can have relationships with whole systems and that doesn't diminish any entity's separateness or anything. Like we're all married to our husband's system, even if not all of us individually have the same relationships between each other. I might have a platonic relationship with one of my husband's system members, but we're also still married, but just how it goes. I love seeing other kids in the chat. I'm so excited. Anyway, something we also don't see talked about a bit is that entities within the system can have relationships with each other. Like self-love taken to a different kind of conclusion. There's a whole lovely discussion about that in that bibliography. So we've had system members in the past date each other, which might sound confusing or possibly confusing totally valid. It can also be a way for entities to explore their attractions and sexualities in a safer and less judgmental way. Because there's just other people. Plurality and gender. Then there's genders. Back to that genderful part. So gender dysphoria or a discomfort with one's generally gender with one's currently gendered experience usually has some degree of dissociation built in, specifically depersonalization. For many trans people, the body they inhabit may not feel like their own. And not all trans people are plural, and not all plural people are trans, even if plural folks with systems of more than one gender. But one myth is that if someone's plural, especially if they have a dissociative disorder, if they have a system member whose gender aligns with the body, that one should be regarded as the most important, and the other trans selves need to be suppressed. This is false. Similarly, if a trans system has someone who identifies with the same gender as the body, that is not proof they are not really trans. Obviously, that's false, but that's what happens. Uh, if there are instances and gender dis if there are differences, excuse me, in gender dysphoria and identity, it can be really confusing to know what to do regarding permanent or semi-permanent transition steps. For instance, what if one member of the system is dysphoric because of X? But another system member finds gender euphoria in X. What do you do if someone wants top surgery and others don't? That's difficult. And there's no real easy answers there. That's something that people have to sort out amongst their own system, which can be very tiresome or confusing and emotional. The primary people in our system have changed gender so often that our gender presentation and identity and know we've done things that other people have stopped and other people might want to go over and do other things start things that you never wanted to try before everyone's gender journey is different including in systems so a question we do also see is that is gender fluidity plural no there are many singlets who are gender fluid it's important not to immediately conflate those things because they're different, and it could invalidate a singlet's identity to suppose that they're actually just multiple people. And Meowster just did a great genderful episode with Emmy, who is gender fluid and a singlet for as far as I know. So that's a great example of gender fluidity and one singlet. And also, yeah, <laughs> there are others who think of their one gender self as separate than their other gender self, a boy part and a girl part, for instance, and switching between those selves results in an overall sense of gender fluidity. And then bi-gender or multiply gendered people can also be made up of entities with different genders. Again, you don't want to automatically assume that someone else feels that way, like a boy part and a girl part might be separate entities, because of course singlets can be multiply gendered. And of course, like with sexualities, individual entities 
might have different genders or just use different pronouns uh, in our system. Michelle is a cis man, end of, not even a mattering of another gender. Super boring, but <laughs> I'm a girl thing and Juliet is genderqueer and Obi is a whatever, different genders, different pronouns, just we're separate people. And Michelle's cisness doesn't invalidate others' transness or non-binarysness. And uh, ooh, sorry, one system member who is a butch lesbian might like she/her pronouns. Another system member who is a butch lesbian might use he/him pronouns. They could have the same gender identity but use different pronouns, and that's still a differentiation enough. Like there, you can anything can be. A differentiation between entities. It doesn't have to be that. It can be something as minute as just with pronouns. Or just like people in the wild might have very similar gender identities with just different pronouns. And then we mentioned like long, long ago in our presentation that OB was one of our system members is a collection of things. It uses she and it pronouns. So we'll bounce back and forth about that. So OB is its own substantive thing. As we mentioned, like it's the attic, right? She's like a lot of the walls of the attic and those walls are a girl thing. But then the like junk in the attic is for some reason a bunch of boys. Some are cis boys, some are trans boys, some are non-binary but identify more with masculinity. Some are just like whatever but call me he. There's one that's half a boy and half a girl but the girl is also a boy. There's a bunch of them and they're all part of OB. And the attic would be totally empty without them. But that also makes their genders super weird. But that is the kind of cool stuff that you get to be if you're plural. If you share a body, can you be cis or trans? Some entities have an internal sense of their body that is different from the body they share. Michelle is 5'10". Our body is not. I have shoulder-length brown hair. Our body does not. It's actually currently purple right now. OB has horns. Our body does not. This can be for any number of reasons or no reasons at all, but that internal sense of body can match the gender or not, like cis or trans. Yes, I said horns. Heck yeah, I said horns because we're going to talk about alter humanity and other kin people. Here we go. <laughs> you mentioned it. OB is not human. OB is other kin, and we love talking about other kin. So there's a thing called alter humanity which alt plus h describes as a subjective identity that is beyond the scope of what is traditionally considered being human. There are many types of alter humanity for whatever identity that is not human that is called a kin type. It was, so OB is old school other kin, no gray muscle, but old enough to know what a gray muscle is. And other kin means identifying as something non-human. This can be in whole or in part. Some people also say it means identifying like something non-human, which is totally fair as well. That's a slightly newer interpretation. An example is elf kin or fairy kin. This could also be abstracty concepts as well, like space kin. And traditionally, other kin meant talking about fantasy creatures like elves. And there used to be whole separate communities, actually, like the dragons were their own community, the unicorns were their own community, werewolves were their own community, and then they all came together under the term other kin. This is in the, oof, the late 80s, I think, early 90s. 
I think that's about right. There are some elves, the silver elves. They've been around since the 70s. They have really good books. They have a great website. I think this is still true. I think you can still email them and ask them to give you an elf name. It's very cool. They're so cool. You should talk to them. And they all came together as Otherkin. And OB is Otherkin and is the Minotaur, hence the, the horns. And so nowadays when people talk about kins or kinning, they're usually referring to fictional kin types. And fiction kin means identifying as a fictional character. And this is a, a personal pet peeve, and we've lost this battle years ago. What we're about to say is the equivalent of being annoyed of people ending sentences with prepositions. But we're going to say it because it's relevant to other kin history. We don't use kin as anything other than noun. People use it like a verb, like I kin Luke Skywalker. And that's just an acceptable way of talking about things now. But back in the day, you said you are kin and your kin type was Luke Skywalker or you are Luke kin. So that's how we'll personally use that until the day we die. Therians are another old school identity that's fallen out of favor, I think. And it means specifically identifying as an animal. Someone who is dog kin is usually considered a Therian amongst those communities. Wolf kin was an extremely popular identification. They can also be other kin too, but back in the days, uh, the other kin community and the Therian community were fairly separate, but they pushed together as, uh, you know, the internet became more connected. So those communities came across each other and joined up. Coping Linker is a newish version, a newish thing on the scene. It came out half a decade ago, so it's new. Some old gray muzzles who are people older and involved in the other kin Arthurian communities for a very long time, back in the days of forums and web rings and mailing lists. They got mad that some people were choosing to have kin types instead of meditating and reaching a spiritual or psychological conclusion of an inner truth after hours and being grilled abusively on forums for three days before they were allowed to possibly identify as other kin, people were like, no, that's no, we're not going to do that. So a lot of people mostly responded to that with some people just use these identities to cope for whatever. And then the term coping linker came up as a response to this. So then, what's the difference between fiction kin and fictives? Yeah, gray muzzles are. They're mostly gone, I think, or at least I've moved so far away that we don't see them anymore. There are a lot of robot kin out there, capybara, so that's just, that's, that's the thing. There's also a lot of like autistic people who are robot kin, which is, makes sense. There's a pretty strong correlation with that one. Anyway, so fiction kin identify as a fictional character and fictives are a fa fictional character. So OB is the Minotaur, but the Minotaur is not in our system. OB just is the Minotaur. If Juliet identified as Luke Skywalker, then Juliet would be fiction kin. But if Luke Skywalker joined our system, he would be a fictive. And sometimes it can also be a sense of like personal history. Juliet may not identify as having been personally uh, flying around near the Death Star, but a Luke uh, fictive might, but the borders between the two are very wobbly. There are some very heated arguments about the differences, totally, but it's a chicken or the egg kind of thing, and uh, it ultimately, um, it doesn't matter <laughs> what the exact difference is, but people can get feisty about it. And then plurality and neurodiversity. So if you are 
plural, does that automatically mean you're neurodiverse? Interaction between gender dysphoria and other kin is super strong. I don't have a whole lot of other kin resources, but I do believe that we link to the Alts H blog, which has tons of great articles and stuff. Super cool and good. Yeah. There's a lot of trans people who are other kin and vice versa. Okay. Sorry. I can't super love talking about other kin stuff. Anyway. <laughs> so if you're plural, does that automatically mean you're neurodiverse? If you identify as such, sure. Definitely part of the broad, diverse spectrum of personal experiences that are not considered normal in one's brain, that's for sure. It's also true that if you have a dissociative disorder and are multiple, it's automatically assumed. Neurodiversity is a term that's opt-in. If you don't feel like that term is for you, you don't have to use it. It's also true that uh, different system members can have different experiences that result in different neurologies. Michelle, as we've said, is an autistic. The rest of us are, and you could even say that our body is, but he's not. How does that work? I don't know. <laughs> does that make the rest of us not autistic? No, he just doesn't have the same issues that we do with stuff. And he's got other stuff going on with him that the rest of us don't have. So system members can share or not share different kinds of experiences that way. Uh, there can also be like different presentations of the same neurodiverse label. Juliet is better in writing stuff than I am, for instance. Like she wrote a lot of the script. I just get to say it. And we're both autistic. <laughs> she gets all the cool hyper focus and but I get the rejection sensitive dysphoria. So if you think that Juliet got more of the cool stuff, maybe you're right. So some people can also take on different aspects of neurodiversity that collectively results in a label. So if a system member acted out the compulsions of another system member's obsessions, then the entire system could have OCD, even if individually, technically, the system members inside it don't. And dissociation and plurality, or both, can also have overlapping and intersecting relationships with other neurodivergencies. There's research out there about what it's like to mask as an autistic person and have that disconnect become dissociation. And sometimes, don't we as autistic people feel like we become someone else when we have to go do social things, put on that social non-autistic face? And then there's alexithymia, which kind of could be like dissociation, poor autobiographical memory, could be dissociative amnesia, uneven responses to sensory stimuli, like some days you can't stand anything crunchy in soup, get those celery bits out of my soup, and other days you're, you're just crunching tortilla chips in the soup because there's not enough crunch. Singlets have varying sensory needs too, but that isn't also uh, plurals do too. And with ADHD, there are similar associations. And while it's not like Juliet gets all the hyperfocus, I get some too. But uh, Juliet does get hyperfocus more than me. And uh, something to think about is like maybe when one day you wake up with uh, extra spoons in the think tank, maybe that's because someone gave you theirs for the day. So enough about general things and enough about us and some wishy-washy maybes. Let's get talking about you, what you're going to. How do you know if you're a plural? That's the big question, right? If you're questioning plural, you want to know. If you're questioning, how do you know if you're plural? The answer is simple. If there's you and at least some other entity that isn't your plural. And that's it. <laughs> Obviously, there's more to it if you want there to be. So first off, 
if you think that you have a dissociative disorder, then if it feels right for you and you think you would benefit from it, you can bring it up to a therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist. Because of the funky nature of plurality and the way that it is treated publicly though, this has the potential to be unsafe. This is an option that is available to you if you are experiencing great distress and dissociation is interfering with your life in major ways. Even people who specialize in dissociative disorders may be hesitant to recognize or diagnose DID for a lot of reasons. It's unfortunate, uh, it's unfortunate controversy also results in a lot of bad care. I think the statistic is that it takes about seven years on average to get a DID diagnosis. I couldn't find that exact statistic, but it was something akin to that. And hearing voices in your head can also be a reason why a psychiatrist thinks that you are a danger to yourself or others and can be used as justification to involuntarily hospitalize you. That is a warning that I will give. But if you, so if you think that you're struggling in certain areas related to dissociative disorders, it might be a good idea to write them down and organize your thoughts about them before you see a professional. And as always, it might be good to talk to people who you trust and who care about you. You can ask them for things that uh, you may notice in your behavior. Uh, you can ask them for help in problem areas like reminding you of things or checking in on you. And also regardless of whatever path you take externally, you can also look for support spaces for people with DID. It's Important to remember though also, as I mentioned earlier with the trauma holders, because of the traumatic histories of people in these spaces, there can often be very intense discussion. That may be what you're looking for, but there are also, that's a warning, it's usually not warned for very well. You can open up a single forum on psych, a single thread on psych forums and be bombarded with very serious and heavy stuff. That's something to know. And there are also instances where people can prey on other people because they're vulnerable. And those are public spaces. Not all of them are. There's a great closed Facebook group for people with DID. There's that, and those are edge cases, but they do exist. And we do want to make sure that, that is something that people are aware of. Hey, but come on, really, how do I know? So regardless of whether you have a dissociative disorder or not, you might still be asking, how do I know? And if you want a real answer as to how do you know, then I can't give you one. Like, knowing implies that there's just some objective truth out there about who you are that is either yes singlet or yes plural, and if you think hard enough, you'll discover it. And that, I guess, works for some people, but not for everyone. You can simply be plural without knowing you're plural, if that works for you. And a uh, more important than determining a single truth is determining what works for you. If making sense of yourself as plural makes things in your life easier or more enriching or happier, then you should do so. And again, another great quote from Elle when we were discussing this particular slide said, try it on. Does it help you function better? Does it seem to generally fit? Cool. Great. If it doesn't, get it. Did it work before and later it doesn't? Okay. Like sometimes just seeing if it fits into how you function, if you treat it as applicable to you, can tell you a lot. What if it's a phase, you ask? So what? People go through phases. People go through lots of phases. Like lots of people had an anime phase where they were super into anime, and then that stopped, or maybe it didn't stop. They moved on to a different interest. 
does that make any of the joy of loving anime during that time any less real? Does having ended that phase diminish current enjoyment of other interests? Nope. So if it's a phase, that's fine. But what if I'm wrong, you ask? What if I change my mind, you ask? And so what? People grow and change. If you're wrong and you change your mind, then you've taken the time to learn more about yourself and grow as a person, and that's awesome no matter what. Now, I don't want to talk about self-diagnosing yourself with DID. That is not in a realm of expertise. But we're going to compare the act of defining yourself as plural to self-diagnosis. If you do research, if it helps you live your life to understand yourself as plural, if plural resources help you, if you find community with plural folks, then call yourself plural. Even if you're wrong, then it's still fine. If you change your mind, that's fine too. And here's the extra thing. If you want to be plural, there are ways to do that. Tolbons and tulpas can be such intentionally created systems not all, or maybe even most, tulpamancers consider themselves plural, but you can. Like we said earlier, it's important to remember that there are responsibilities for creating a person or connecting with a person who shares your body. Like, you can make them go away, but that's an autonomous individual. That does mean something. But anyway, even if you just want to be plural, you can. And I recently was watching that tulpamancy video and I don't believe I watched up to the part where they went over specifics, but he was talking about how before uh, tulpamancy took maybe months, weeks. Nowadays, people are able to develop tulpas in a couple of days. So you can be plural next week if you want to. So just that. So am I plural if? That's another popular question, and the answer is yes. You don't need to know details about your system members to be plural. You don't have to dissociate to be plural. You don't need to lose time to be plural. You don't need to switch who's fronting to be plural. You don't need to... You can make your own system and be plural. And you can want to be a system and then be a system and be plural. Any caveat that you might have for your plurality doesn't matter. As long as there is more than one entity in your head, for whatever reason, then you're plural. So headspaces as a starting point. A headspace is an inner world. It can be where system members live when they're not out. It can be a metaphor for not being out. It can be a metaphysical place people are in. It's a, a space in your head. Some people have one, others don't. The presence or absence of one does not dictate whether you're plural. Some people find their system members in a headspace. Sometimes when they reach back into their minds, they find people in there, like walking into a house and seeing a bunch of strangers having tea. But you can also make one. This can be a self-organization tool for people who need help communicating between parts. This can be a way for many system members to come together and interact with each other while we read chat. Yeah, totally down for an after party. Absolutely. All right, it can just be a fun place to build to help your system actualize itself. And then, so a way to think about it is if you had your own room that was yours, perfect. And the thing in your head had their own room that was theirs, perfect. What would the difference be? Can you imagine it and make it so? If you disappear from the front, can you live there? 
So quick note, some people don't see pictures in their heads and that can affect head spaces. I'm gonna show the Apple picture. This is the Apple picture. And the point of this is to explain a scale of how well you see things in your head. If someone tells you to imagine an apple, what's the closest to the image in your head? For some people, there's just no image. That's a five. You just have the word apple. You've imagined it, but there's no picture. That can make seeing headspace very difficult if you don't see things in your mind. Okay, back to headspaces. But a headspace can just be a collection of words associated with a thing. So even if you can't see the thing with your mind like that, it's still possible to have a headspace where we're about a four, four and a half. So don't assume that you have to sit, close your eyes, and concoct an entire castle where you've got like tapestries on the walls and individual door knockers and stuff. Like you, you totally can, but you don't even, that's not even close to necessary. What we're talking about is cordoning off a section of space, whatever that means, and dedicating it to your connections as a system. Imagining, meditating, describing, writing, drawing, manifesting headspace can help you figure out who else is in there, or it just gives you a cool place to chill by yourself when you meditate. It can be a respite from a world that's exhausting. And even if you're not plural, but just need a break, maybe you can just take a few minutes to sit with your feelings and visit a world that's entirely yours. Headspaces are great because they're your own place just for you. If you're an introject of a D&D character and you're like a ranger, I don't know a whole lot of D&D, but you could have your own forest, all your own, to just hunt and be merry and do ranger things. And Or maybe you just have a part of your brain that has, collects your stats and your relationships and what one of your awesomest memories is. And if you're Luke Skywalker, maybe you've got a spaceship you can hop on and off of and there's a room with a motorized door that like hisses when you open like you're in a 80s movie. Or maybe you just have a little space up the side of the mind that says gray, stars, lightsaber, and uh, hot sand. Or maybe you're just a person who lives in a house and has a bedroom. It's an example headspace. This is what ours is. We don't see this exactly, but other people might see their own headspaces. But this is a sketch that's way more clear than what we actually like see inside ourselves. Like, uh, Fun fact, actually, we found an old drawing from 2016 of our headspace, and it's very similar. But some of the doors moved around. Isn't that fun? The magic door was farther on the right in five years ago. That's fun. Anyway, it started out as just us sitting around. Now it's been organized and grown as we've dedicated time into building it, and meditation and internal talking, internal building, thinking about it, manifesting it, changing it letting other people change it without us knowing. As we mentioned before, OB is the attic. There's holes in there, that's what those circles are. Chewed up by one of those boy things. In terms of visualizing the attic, we don't know exactly what it looks like. We added stairs to show that there are multiple floors. Attics you generally get through like with a ladder. That's how you usually reach an attic. So I don't know how we get up there, but we can get up there and visit Aura and see what's up. I mean, that's OB. And then on the main floor, there's five doors. One, the ones on that side, there's a very tiny circle. That's a doorknob. Yeah. Then Juliet and I have that uh, room to the left. It's a big steel door. And it's a big steel door because that's just the kind of door we have. We don't see it in the middle. Like we don't see it as like a, we don't see it in our head. It just is. 
And then there's the magic door in the middle that lets opens up into a space where Michelle just pops in and out of. Like Michelle, but it's a little bit more like when Michelle pops up, he pops up out of nowhere from a door that we know exists because that's where he comes in and out of. And it's vaguely a little bit to our left. And then other people live in other rooms and that's about it. And we know systems who have whole planets or towns. Your headspace is unique to you and you can build it however you like. So this is a summary of a longer post by Prismatic Rainbow on Tumblr. We liked the sentiment and liked the language of it and think it's important to remember and keep in mind whether you're still not sure if you're plural or if you're a decade in and still get those like maybe. But be willing to be a system that embraces the idea of potentially being entirely made up for whatever reason and be happy with it because why not? So what if you're really just talking to imaginary friends? You probably aren't, but if you are and those imaginary friends help you live your life, improve your mental health, help you live in a cool world, or even help improve your physical health, who cares? I'd happily support an adult with imaginary friends and so should you. Maybe that's a system that likes being imaginary friends instead of system members. And I'm tired of telling the system members who help and love us, and even the ones who don't, oh, maybe you're not, maybe you're real, maybe you're not, maybe I made all of you up. I want to start telling them, hey, even if you're not real, I am committed to and love you. So that brings us to our messy conclusion. You've reached the end. So what did we learn today? <laughs> We learned or didn't learn some the basic definition of plurality, just one more than one entity in a single body. We talked about dissociation and DID. We defined some plurality terms. We talked about plurality and queerness and altered humanity. Then we tried to offer up some additional help in discovering yourselves as plural and what that might mean. And that's it. <laughs> I hope you like that little uh, recurring joke. <laughs> anyway, so... Now we're going to be using the Q&A session to see what's up. Let's see here. I might have some slight flickering. I hope that's not. Let's see here. Okay, so I'm going to pick. Okay, hold on. Maybe there's a better way to do this. Okay, cool. I see these lovely things. Okay, so I'm going to pick one that has. I really wish this was a. Sorry about that. Is there an interaction between plurality, polyamory, and marriage that we could discuss? Uh, yes, there is. There's actually two links in that lovely bibliography that mentions a plurality and polyamory. One has one has an unfortunate title. It's like plurality and cheating or something like that, but that's not quite what it's about. But that's something that is interesting, right? Like we're married and we're plural, and also our husband is plural. So know the relationships we've been together for almost 11 years that's longer than we've identified as plural so we, our systems grew up together a little bit so the relationships between each of us i guess you could say is like polyamorous like my relationship with one of my husband's system members is similar to the relationship that i have with another one and i guess it's just messy and complicated to define what a relationship is in your system and to define what polyamory means for your system does that mean interacting with more than one body? Does that mean that you know stay within the system, but you can only date one person in the system? And then if there's things like dissociation and amnesia involved, that's its whole other conversation. But I guess maybe 
the like long and short of it is that I, I think you should marry plural people. <laughs> Being married in plural is good. <laughs> That's my end conclusion to that. Right. Next question. <laughs> Do you think other kin folks enjoy TTRPGs because they have the chance to roleplay their inner selves in a game with other IRL meet, meet space beings? Absolutely. 100%. 100%. Because there are very few socially acceptable real life spaces where you can if you want to like growl and make a bunch of weird noises and try and get into the mind of a wolf in a way that not only is fun but your friends are actively supporting you in this yeah i think that that makes a lot of sense and there's also just you know ptrpgs just have a real history of being connected with like queerness and other sorts of marginalized identities because it's escapism, right? It's escaping into a fantasy world that you define with your own rules and your, you know, your own everything, or your own characters, your own rules, your own world. But yeah, I think other kin folks just love the idea of being able to play the actual like species that they are. I think Minotaur is a playable race now in D&D. Maybe I'm mistaken about that, but I think it is. So yeah, Obi could just go nuts. And then I know that also like some of that 13-year-old kid, Michelle, he played like a those, like one of those crow people. I do not play D. <laughs> but he played one of those crow people and had a whole blast. And then, yes, that was it, a Kenku. And then he actually um, became a duck kin, like goose and duck kin. I don't know if that was related exactly to the whole Kenku thing, but they did happen. One did follow the other one. I don't know if it was causal or just temporally associated. Who knows? So I think that part of it is escapism. I think part of it is just that you're given the space to be with people who you care about and who support you to allow you to play with the subjective boundaries of humanity. And that's cool. And that's that's what other kid does. That's awesome. Okay. Then our next question we have is, my hubby's other ID was a lizard demon. Also, his alter ID was very destructive to his main ID. Can you talk about this? Or did you even need to watch the So we talked a little bit about persecutors because there are entities within a CW in chat might be a good idea here. We might end up talking about abusive things, but I don't, I'm not going to pretend that I know the history of your husband, but it is a fairly common experience for people who have experienced very strong verbal abuse, for instance, just one example, turn that onto the other members of their system. There's a great video about, there's a great video by Buck of the Chris's out there that it's made for plurals, but it's specifically Buck is slash was a persecutor. And he talks about the transitional process of how that sort of came to be. He, uh, he used to protect his sister in a way from the strongest aspects of abuse. And he would, he would just hear nasty things thrown at him to protect his sister. But then once those nasty things went away externally, he didn't have the same, he didn't have a person to argue with, to defy their expectations. So he turned that around onto the people around him because that was just what he knew how to do. That was part of the 
defense that he built up as his response to experiencing bad things. And so some of that can just, it can be misguided protective instincts. It can be that abusive voice taken up residency in your head in an unfortunately autonomous way. And that's very common. And yeah, I'm very sorry to hear about that because I, that's a very, it's a thing that happens. And I think that is something that is uh, not talked about as much. If you want, I don't know if you're in the Discord, but you might could DM me. I know of a few places where people talk about being like the loved ones of people with a DID and other such things. And I believe that there's a conference. I don't know if they did it. La I assume they didn't do it last year. Okay, cool. If you want, I can probably direct you to some of those things if you, if you would like. But they have a conference. I don't think they had one last year because of COVID. But they generally have a conference that's all about, like, from every aspect about dissociative disorders and, you know, living with them in as your own or as your loved one. And there's a lot of stories similar to yours. I don't know if you have any interest in going to a whole convention for that, but that is something that is there. And I know that if we talk, I can give you a few places, I think, if you would want to talk about that with other people who might have direct experience. So there is that. And then we have a question. New talk question. Okay, we have make this thing go. Okay, so I'm going to present this one real fast, just because it's a quick one. Maybe a silly question. Suppose we were hanging out, and afterwards I wanted to refer to you. I say I was hanging out with Juliet and Maddie, or it depends. Right now it's Maddie. It's been Maddie out this whole time, so you could say you're just hanging out with Maddie. But if you were talking about, like, the people who wrote this presentation, you would say, like, Juliet and Maddie, and you know, there's other people who wrote it too. But I guess the best way to think about it is imagine we were like uh, little people like banded together with rubber bands. And if it's just one person, then there's one person. But if someone got wrapped up with rubber bands with me, you hung out with both of us. You know, rubber bands being an entire body. Anything. So I'm going to talk a little bit about this mostly to direct and say, is there a crossover between walk-ins and the practices of aspecting and paganism? And I am unfamiliar with those terms, but there is a video in that wonderful bibliography. There are 70 or so things you can click in that bibliography, and some of which are YouTube channels and YouTube videos. And one of them talks about the relationship between spirituality and their plurality. I don't know if they specifically mentioned walk-ins, but I know I didn't finish the whole video, but I know that they mentioned paganism specifically as an influence in their system. So my guess is that there might be information there. So I believe that's under, it's all organized by like basic things. So I think it's under like you know, plurality, spirituality. We have, I wonder what the interaction between gender dysphoria and other kin might be. And so I think this is, I think some of it just makes sense in a way if you think about the idea of, if you think about depersonalization as a dissociative thing, where you're feeling a disconnect from what you currently, you know, from your body, from yourself. And so that disconnect can take many forms. A kind of a strange way is like OB for a while was like very against having legs. <laughs> OB was like, I want to like not have legs. 
And that was the startling thing to wrap our heads around. So it was like, why is that something that you think about? But then when you realize more of the plurality stuff, well, oh, it's because you're the Minotaur and Minotaurs don't have human legs, huh? And so being able to connect that identity with the experiences of a body, that internal sense of body, is it can be gender, it can be species, it can be for whatever reason. I think that sometimes just the mind has a blueprint that exists that may not be connected to the body in any sort of way, gender dysphoria. People do sometimes call it species dysphoria, although I know some trans people are against that because of the comparison that saying that other kin and transness is the same, but obviously they're not. The this terms make sense. <laughs> species dysphoria. I think that's that's been studied a little bit in like psychology. Yeah, those gatekeepers. They're different gatekeepers, but yeah, there has been some like discussion about like other kin stuff and species dysphoria stuff. I don't have those in my bibliography. I didn't think about that. I don't know how they would relate to dissociation and plurality. But I think just the general, the disconnect, I think that's different ways of escaping that feeling of it's not you. Yeah. And I think we have the one more question. Let's see. And then what is it like going to school or college as a multiple or plural system? Is it possible that one system member can get a college degree and another system member doesn't know that subject matter at all? That's totally possible. I don't know how common that is, but that's totally possible. While we were... So we have two bachelor's degrees and our first one is the one that OB got, which is in creative writing. And the second one is one that Juliet and I got, which is computer science. So OB wrote, you know, OB writes a lot of stuff. Actually, hate to, hate to rob OB of this, but in our poetry for the talent show, one of those poems is written by that um, Juliet took credit. But writing is like OB's thing in a sense, but then like Juliet writes different, I write different. Hopefully you can see the difference and at least the difference between my poems and Juliet's poems. I think it's obvious, but honestly, if you asked Aura about some JavaScript stuff or I'm sorry, OB in JavaScript stuff, then like it probably wouldn't know. Guest degrees. That was a, that was an adventure. If a uh, hex is still in the chat, I would have loved to um have some physics help on physics too. Thank God that physics two was remote. I'm just gonna say that, but like, I bet Obi wouldn't have been able to do like the technical interview that we did earlier because Juliet did that interview. And Juliet's the one who works, and I'm the one who's watching uh, Masters Twitch streams. Yeah, it's also like Obi. Like, I think we mentioned this a little bit in the other document. Obi like first realized that it was not itself like at school. Like it was driving to school and then when it parked in the garage, then it was not OB anymore. It was someone else. And so it was, I was like jarring and then OB's like in class, you know, trying to pay attention. Like an OB is paying attention, but there's something distinctive. That's so lucky. Actually, I think physics for our CS degree was a gen ed course that we never took because we were a uh, English major before. I can't remember though. But physics is not our forte. Any of us. Yeah, actually, yeah, Michelle knows nothing about anything. <laughs> so, yeah, it's totally possible for someone to not know the subject matter at all. 
Michelle knows nothing. <laughs> Michelle's so funny. So, so real fast, we have our full link list has 65 hyperlinks in one place with extra topics on the history of plurality, uh, DID across the globe, plurality dissociation and race, uh, plurality of resources beyond the intro level, uh, YouTube videos, a whole channel, itch.io games and zines. Go to that link. There's good stuff there. And some real quick thanks. We had a lot of fun putting this together. And we got to thank Yowster for suggesting this topic and organizing the stream. There's a lot of stuff that goes into all of this technically. And, you know, they were great. So it was nice. And, you know, we, we did, we liked, we very much enjoyed writing this. I want to thank 27 for help drafting and Ella for taking a first look to help make things better. And between research, making the slides, writing the script, and editing it, this took a, probably about 30 hours. It's actually probably more. We wrote this slide before we were done. <laughs> but hope you liked it. And that's that. And now I think we're ready to close up the, the entire thing. Whee! <laughs> I wanted to say thank you so much, Juliet and Maddie, for being on the show today. Um, for sharing your wisdomousness, for spending 30 hours putting this whole presentation together. What an incredible offering for the community, just in time for our pride party tomorrow. My my one question before I start plugging things is where can folks connect with y'all further? Can they catch you in Discord? Maybe is there a Twitter? Uh, I don't know. We have a Twitter, but it's like boring writing stuff. I guess probably Discord is the best way, and but we do have DMs turned on right now, except for using chat. But for other people, we would prefer not getting DMs at the moment. Would the plurality channel be an okay place to tag yes. you in a like, semi-public, semi-private space that is not a yes. DM? Okay. Yes, the plurality channel is great. The questioning plurality channel is great. And uh, yeah, so those would be good places. Yeah, I don't have a cool Twitter or anything. <laughs> So, good. yeah. Friends, if you enjoyed this conversation, you can also support our guest lecture on Ko-Fi at Ko-Fi forward slash Juliet Maddie. And Juliet is spelled with a Y, J-Y-L-I-E-T-M-A-D-Y. All of the links, all of the bibliography, all the things that are mentioned in this talk show, you can find in the show notes on YouTube and in the podcasting platforms. Thank you all so much. And I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Happy Pride. Stay safe. Stay hydrated. Stay out of the heat. Let's talk to you all soon.